Hello, good evening, and welcome to, believe it or not, the last ever show, well, not the last ever show, but the last show for, for the next uh, few weeks anyway. Uh, you're listening to The Rocker Room here on Indie Live with Michael and Matthew. I made it, I made it sound there, they, obviously, Indie Live Radio would obviously finally listen to our show, and it finally let us go. <laughs> Well, maybe that's what they were hinting at. I'm not actually sure. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But uh, how's it going? Ah, same old. Nothing. Nothing really changes since we can't get into any of the sports. But um, now that people are coming back in and um, there's fans coming in, I'm hopeful we might actually get to see some sport in the next six months. So, um, yeah. th- things are looking up. Yeah. But other than that, it's like sat in front of the TV and uh, taking it all in. Yeah. Well. Busy show this week as well, uh, just to um, go over the cup final one. But um, Steve Clark announced his squad for uh, the Euros and all that, um, and the Scottish Cup as well. But let's start where at, <laughs> at the beginning, as I say, the when Rangers won the league last week, but I think it was a bit overshadowed by the fans. Yeah, I mean, we always like to talk about things that are topical in sport. And I, I think, you know, some people are quite happy to, you know, not separate sport and life and politics in general. But I think in Scotland, because sport is so, so important to, to everybody, to, and people obviously listening to the show, but sport is so important to everybody that it all intertwines. And what made me think about this was, you know, Rangers won the league. And obviously everything that happened on, on the Saturday, which I suppose we don't have to go over and detail the, the behaviour because mm. everybody knows what happened. But it made me think because was it a day after that or two days after that in London, we had an incident after the Israel-Palestine war had, had restarted. And I think two or three cars had driven down a predominantly Jewish neighbourhood in London and were singing you know, anti-Israel so maybe songs or slogans and had Palestinian um, flags on their car. And what happened then after that was the media went into overdrive saying how anti-Semitic this was, how Jewish people in London felt threatened, how, you know, I think on one radio show, LBC, they spoke about, you know, how Jewish people felt that they always had to have their passport on them because of the way they were treated in this country. And it made me think it was about, okay, I don't, belittle what happened to the Jewish population in London and you know I get why people are talking about this but it made me think about Scotland and the comparison so we had three cars in London driving down a street shouting anti-Israel slogans and then we had what happened in Scotland on, on the Saturday where thousands upon thousands of people were in Scottish streets in particular Glasgow but obviously all around the country and in the north of Ireland as well singing anti-Catholic songs and anti-Irish um, songs in particular. Um, and it made me think, why are we not having such a big debate in Scotland about this as we had in, in England? You know, England had Parliament talking about it, media talking about it, they've been talking about it for the whole week. Why in Scotland does this seem to be, by large portions of the population and large sections of the media and politicians, it almost gets said as an aftermath, you know, this is disgraceful, blah, blah, blah. And then it's slowly put back under the carpet as if nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And I think now there has to be a discussion about it because 
whether we like it or not in Scotland and in the north of Ireland, because there's a bit of a coalition here, there are people of Catholic and I- Catholic origins, Irish descent in Scotland who suffer economic disadvantage and health disadvantages um, as a country as a whole, and also racism and sectarianism on a daily basis. So I think as a whole in Scotland, we have to talk about these things. On the surface of it, if you look at this as an iceberg, on the surface of it, we have anti-sectarian or we have sectarian and anti-Irish behaviour on a daily basis in Scotland, whether in in public and noticeable, or whether there's an undercurrent of it and it happens kind of as an off-the-cuff remark, or people say it as a joke, but it's it's there. And on the under underside of this iceberg, we have you know economic disadvantage and health disadvantage and educational disadvantage. So when I was at university, I did actually a dissertation on this as part of my social work thing. And I had a look at the up-to-date numbers and things haven't changed in the decades since I did my dissertation. I think Edinburgh University and Ulster University have done an updated thing. And basically, having done the research, it found that Scotland, Scottish Catholics actually have a disproportionate um, education ability or economic um, economic situation or health situation as if you came from a Protestant background. So the data found, for example, that 39% of Catholic men in Scotland are more likely to die at the ages of 25, between the ages of 25 and 74 than Protestants. And then they looked at the economic side of things. And when you take away economic or social status from that, the figure was still revised down a little bit, but it was still there. So there's a large amount of Scottish Catholic men out there that are more likely to die between the ages of 25 and 74 than if you were Protestant in Scotland. Same with women. If you're a woman in Scotland, you're 29% more likely to die between the ages of 25 and 74 than if you were a Protestant Scottish woman. So that shows you the health equality side of things. You're more likely to have a have a sort of lesser life situation or year-wise than if you were a Protestant. Same thing with health. Um, uh, so that was the health side of things. Same side with uh, jobs. If you're a Scottish Catholic, 20.9% of Scottish Catholics were found in the professional classes compared to 27.1% um, if, if you were Northern Irish. So you're more likely to have a professional class and of Catholic if you were in Northern Ireland as if you were a Catholic in Scotland. So that just shows you the same with long-term unemployment. 10.2% of Scottish Catholics are unemployed uh, compared to 86 of Northern Irish Catholics. So it shows you that if you're in the workplace, you're still, if you're a Scottish Catholic, you're less likely to be in a professional class compared to if you were a Protestant, for example. But even in Northern Ireland, you're more likely, if you're a Catholic, to work in a professional class than if you were in Scotland. So it just shows you the comparison there. Same with education. In Scotland, only 14.2% of Scottish Catholics have a degree. Uh, that compares to Northern Irish Catholics, even 16.7, uh, sorry, 15.3, I apologise. So 14.2% of Catholics have a degree. Uh, obviously, the Scottish Protestant figure is higher. Um Car ownership is another one. You know, thirty-five point seven percent of Scottish Catholics do not have their own car. Um, so, and that compares to a thirty percent figure for Scot- for Scottish Protestants. So, there's a trend developing here that if you are a Scottish Catholic, for example, your life chances as a whole are disadvantaged um, 
in comparison to if you are a Scottish Protestant. Now, I'm not saying this is this is a Protestant problem as such. Far from it. What I'm saying is is that if you're a Scottish Catholic, you are and you're born into such like, you have a disadvantage straight from the off. Now, there's many different reasons for this. It could be down to discriminatory employment practices. It could be down to the challenges that haven't that built up over time from a large amount of Irish Catholics coming over to Scotland in the 1840s that Scotland just haven't been able to get a grips with. Um, and therefore, we started from a low base and we have struggled to get beyond that glass ceiling. But there's another side of things, you know, in Ireland, for example, as part of the 1998 Good Friday Agreement, an Equality Commission was found founded and they undertook numerous initiatives to try and close the religious gap. Now, as I've shown, that has happened. So if you're an Irish Catholic, if you're a Northern Irish Catholic, you are more likely to, for example, be in a professional job to have decent health, to have decent education than if you're a Scottish Catholic. And a lot of that is because the work has been put in and that has closed the gap a little bit. But in Scotland, we seem to struggle with that and we're still sweeping it under the carpet a little bit. And I think, like I said, on Saturday... I think was the manifestation of this racist sectarian behaviour coming out of the sort of coming out into the surface of the world, and you know gave us gave us the opportunity to talk about it. And I do think that Scotland finally needs to take a grip of this to maybe find specific legislation to give Scottish Catholics a chance to up themselves within their new Scottish situation. And I think legislation should also be put in place to finally tackle sectarianism and racism at this level because you know if you're a Muslim, if you are black, if you are from the Asian community, there are protections in place and there's same and maybe not just legal, but there's protections in place from other people in the community. There seems to be a specific issue with anti-Irishness and anti-Catholicism in this country that people don't want to address. And like I said, the iceberg is, the top of the iceberg is that you can hear that on the streets, you can hear that with flag or see that with flags, you can um, hear that when, you know, people make jokes that are seen to be funny, but obviously have an undercurrent to them. But there is that under, under the iceberg sort of thing, what you don't see. And, there, you know, there are issues with education, health and, you know, prosperity as a whole. And I think it's time, you know, Scotland call out this finally for what it is, because yeah. I'm actually really fed up with this getting swept under the carpet and nobody doing anything about it. It's about time we take action on this because it's absolutely disgusting that we're still talking about this in 2021. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, um, because... As you say, it's been happening for years and they just kind of sweep it under the carpet. But, you know, because that, and you can use the pandemic or whatever, but you, um, people shouldn't have been out in that, the bottom brain is, uh, you know, that they shouldn't be out. But the other, the, the other bottom line is as well that this should have been sorted out years ago, you know, um, and obviously... Um, and if you look at the Scot, compare that to the Scottish Parliament now, where now I know, I know um, you're saying you're probably saying where's Michael going with this one, but the Scottish Parliament is very diverse now, you know. Um, but also, you you know, um, 
we should get to be speaking about it more and, and having a, a debate about it. No, no, not just maybe like an hour for a debate or half an hour, you know, whatever. A whole day should be dedicated to sectarianism. It's not even sectarianism, you know, it's... I think it's went above and beyond Celtic and Rangers now. It's about Catholic and Protestants, and we should be really open and about this. And that's why me and Matthew was feeling kind of like passionate about to speak about this issue this week on on the show because usually if you as get doesn't get at any of the other media kind of outlets, they speak about it, and then that's it. You know, and 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 it doesn't come out the box again until the the nothing happens, and then nothing happens, and nothing gets done about it. So we we should really, you know, like do something about it. You know, it's you know, and and take it seriously as well. You know, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, this is a football issue because. Whether we like it or not, Celtic and Rangers are the manifestations of these things. So, yeah. you know, obviously Rangers are the manifestation of the Protestant classes. Um, what you could say is traditional born Scotland within the central belt. And then you have, you know, the, the Celtic side of things, which is obviously, again, whether we like it or not, the manifestation of Catholicism and I- Irish immigration from, you know, from the great hunger onwards into you know, the Belfast, but into really the split between North and South Ireland and immigration because of that into Scotland because of jobs and, you know, call it out for what it was, sectarianism in the North of Ireland that meant that many people lost their homes because of the sectarian issue that developed in the North of Ireland. So Celtic and Rangers have became the, a large manifestation of the problems in Scotland that we face today, especially within the Central Belt. You know, like I said, I think when you look at you, you've quite rightly said Scotland's becoming multicultural. Some of its institutions are becoming multicultural, and we rightly celebrate that, and that should be celebrated. We celebrate the fact, you know, um, that Scotland as a whole is becoming more multicultural, and people can celebrate their Scottishness and/or any other ethnicity that they have. Um, but it's funny because when, you know, when, when you can celebrate, for example, the religious festivals, say Eid or Jewish festivals or anything like that, when St. Patrick's Day comes in Glasgow and Cote Bridge and places around the Central Belt, it's funny that we don't celebrate that. Mm. And it's because we can't. Yet when, you know, if you have a St. Patrick's Day in New York or Birmingham or Manchester or London or Chicago or anywhere else, being Irish is celebrated as if it's any other culture, and rightly so. We should be mm. proud of what we are, whether you're Scottish English, whether you're Scottish Irish, whether whatever Scottish Indian, whatever you are, you should celebrate who you are, what you are, and we can all join in on that celebration because we're all in this together. But if, if you're Irish, for example, and you live in Scotland, you can't celebrate that. You can't celebrate religious festivals because there's always an undercurrent of what exists in Scotland. And like I said, that's not just on the surface of what we see. And like I said, I think Saturday was definitely the surface of the iceberg. It showed what's there, what's been let out the bag, finally, after years of it being, I think, existing, but having having it kept under wraps. I think Saturday was the manifestation of that, and we saw the t- tip of the iceberg. But there's so much below that that should be explored 
and really explain as to why, if you're a Scotch Catholic of Irish descent, why are you still having less life chances in 2021 as you did in 2009 when I did my dissertation in Birmingham on this subject? And, you know, this goes all the way back to when Irish immigration became a thing back in from the Great Hunger onwards. Why are we still experiencing these inequalities? And that has to be studied. And like I said, you know, rightly so, when that thing happened in, in London to the Jewish population, as sad as it was, we had inquiry after inquiry in, um, in Parliament. Boris Johnson spoke about it. We had inquiries on all the major radio networks like LBC that I listened to. And that's right. These things should be questioned. We should study it. We should call it out for what it is. But in Scotland, it's called out and then it's taken away back in as quickly. Like, we don't want to let the cat out of the bag. We don't mm. want to go into this because it's a larger issue than many people imagine. And when mm. I spoke about this to somebody in between the Palestine-Israel thing, when I spoke about this to someone about Palestine and Israel situation, they said, well, you wouldn't understand because you're, you're white and you have a, you know, you're part of that whole society thing. You've, you've had no racism against you. And I thought that's spoken like a true mm. idiot because if you lived in Scotland and you are from an Irish descent, like maybe, you know, like you are, I am of an Irish descent, um, nobody really understands the situation in Scotland like we do. And I love my country. I love Scotland to bits. I, I love the people in it. I have many friends. I hope Scotland's independent, not for any other reason than I think Scotland, the Scottish people can be better off and more wealthy and prosperous if we have controls of our own weavers and all of that sort of thing. But th this is something that, as part of the independence campaign, has to be tackled because when Scotland finally does get its independence, I don't want these relics from 1690 onwards to be have to have any chance of ruining what could be a very, very prosperous, fair and beautiful country to live in. And I think it's time we all look into that. There we go. Yeah. Um, obviously, we can spend a whole show on this, but we, we can't because we've got other things to, to speak about. But we might come back to this issue. Uh, in fact, I think we'll all come back to this issue. Um, and then on Wednesday, um, was it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday this week, we got and we heard the news of the awful um, Peter Lowell's story about a, a bomb um, when it's the like Peter Lowell's house and, and damaged his, his house and his cars as, as well. So I thought that was a bit of bad taste as well. Yeah, I mean, that, this, we've obviously done these news stories a bit side by side and this may or may not tie into what we've just spoke about. Obviously, there's not a lot we can say because... You know, the police are investigating it. I think the police have, you know, CCTV footage and they're um, they're looking into what happened um, and trying to get their inquiries up and running. So it's hard to, we don't really want to speculate as to what happened, but it may or may not be linked to what we've just spoke about. Um, but obviously, you know, it's a, it was a deliberate fire at his home on Wednesday. Um, he Not only was he in there, but his family were in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the main thing about this is I think first and foremost the part that him and his family are safe are the most important thing and we can put that to the side but um, you know the fact that he's safe is the most important thing but you know I think the Celtic family have been 
quite quick at coming out and you know hoping that he's okay and passing on their best wishes and regardless of football and regardless of everything that goes on with Peter Lowell because he is quite a divisive figure regardless of all of that kind of thing I think we're just glad that he's safe and his family are safe um, and by the sounds of it you know touch wood it was just a good thing that the garage seemed to have got it and the cars got it because it's a lot better to have lost property um, and lost possessions than it is to have lost a family member. So um, mm-hmm. we can only really be thankful that it was only the garage and the cars that got hit and that his family got out safe was the main thing. And, you know, hopefully the police come quickly to uh, catch the suspect before this happens again. But, you know, as it was frightening. And, you know, we saw what we did on Saturday. We spoke about the sectarian thing. And then this happened, um, regardless of whether it's linked or not, it's quite a frightening um a frightening link a story between what happened and then this because um you know there has been previous situations where people of prominent positions within prominent institutions in Scotland that are linked to Irishness or Catholicism have been had bomb threats before and you know it is quite frightening that this then happened on Wednesday so like I said it's the main thing is that him and his family are safe but we need uh, the suspect caught pretty quickly because we don't want this spreading anywhere else um, because it is that's a new level of idiocy um, and you know okay if you if you don't like Peter Lowell for any different reason then you know you can protest you can you know do some things but bombing a house is a new level um, and we don't want this spreading any further than, than where it has so fingers crossed that the police catch their, their suspect as quickly as possible yeah, yeah, um, here, yeah, and I hope Peter, Peter and his family is, is okay as well. Um, m- moving on, because um, we're getting to the end of this, well, mo- <laughs> it's the end of the season for most uh, football clubs, but not for, I would say, this is like the business end of, of the season. So before we get on to speak about the... Uh, Scottish playoffs. Uh, let me just run through the sto- the scores and the doors, as to say. Um, the Scot the Scottish Championship. The first leg was in Tuesday night between Airdrie and Morton, and Morton won one 0 The second leg is tonight um, at, at Capital um, with a seven thirty five kickoff. The Championship uh, saw the League One. Uh, playoff last night was between Dumbarton and uh, Edinburgh City. Dumbarton lost 1 0, but won 3 2 on aggregate. And also last night saw the uh, Premiership playoff between uh, Dundee and Kamalkan. That was 2 1 2 Dundee. Um, and the second leg of that will be Monday night at quarter eight. So, um, yeah, so, so that game was last night, Matthew, and you, you said, I didn't see any of the game, but you said uh, Dundee was a better team. Yeah, well, I mean, leading into this game, you know, the, I mean, this is the thing about the playoffs. You, I mean, you spoke about it last time, about, you know, two-legged, one-legged sort of thing. But the, the one thing I will say about it is that's in the championship team's favour is, you know, for example, Dundee even though they lost the second leg of the semi-final to Wraith Rovers 1-0, but that was their only loss in eight games. So they were coming in, you know, having won four of their last five games and were playing very well. And then on the other hand, you know, you had Kamarnock who had won just three of their last 10 league games um, and hadn't been playing very well. So, 
the one thing I will give the Championship team is they do come into it full of confidence and they tend to be on good form, whereas the team in the playoff tends to be on poor form and poor confidence. And, and I have to say, that's the way last night played out. I don't think the scoreline gave it justice um, because, you know, Kamarnock's 28-year stay in the top flight. You know, I think Kamarnock, you know, did they come up? Was it Tommy Burns that was the manager when they came up last? Um, can't, can't remember. <laughs> I know that's pushing it now. I'm trying to remember. I think Tommy Burns was possibly in charge. Maybe even Ali McCoist was our striker. Um, round, I'm sure someone better with better memory than us might might message in and tell us. Or I'm sure one of my friends, will, like Graham, normally does. Graham Danner normally messages in and says, "Come on, Matt, you were out there." Um, <laughs> like he reminded me, a spree scored a hat trick against Barcelona. <laughs> Not just one. So he knows his stuff. I think. Um, he can't remember his anniversary date, but he can remember Aspria scoring a hat-trick. So, uh, go figure. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Tommy Burns was there and Ali McCoy was there when Kamarna came up. So, they have been in the top flight for a long time. But I tell you what, Dundee were the better team. Kamarna had more of the ball, I'll grant them that, but they did nothing with it. And Dundee had chance after chance to score... You know, Charlie Adam set up Jordan McGee to make it 1-0. Charlie Adam himself made it 2-0. And to be honest, they could have had more. Um, they had chance after chance. Kamarnock's keeper made a few saves. Dundee missed a few chances. But it was looking like Dundee were the better side for a long time. Um, and it was just only 2-0. And I think that was the problem. And Kamarnock maybe had one shot on target. I'm trying to think back. They only had one shot on target, I remember. And it was to make it 2-1. They scored on the 77th minute out of nothing. But that goal could prove to be so important because, like I said, Dundee were all over them. The, the confidence was flowing. They were having chances. Kamarnock looked dead and, the, dead and buried, to be honest. They looked like a team that had given up their premiership status for a lot of that game. And then all of a sudden, uh, Houndstrup came out. His first shot was blocked and it bobbled into the box and he, he set on his second attempt to get the ball under the keeper. So, you know... Even though Kamarnock didn't really trouble Dundee at all, that goal, from what I can remember, was their only shot on target, or very few. That goal could prove to be so important because then the whole tie turned in its head. Because for that last 10 minutes, Kamarnock then started to dominate a little bit. For the only point of the game that I thought they were on top, the last 10 minutes I thought Kamarnock were on top. And you're just hoping for Dundee's sake that they can try and rediscover their first 77 minutes of that game um, because Kamarnock started to look confident again. They were getting further forward. As, um, Kyle Lafferty was really, really quiet. Um, but, you know, as as that last 10 minutes unfolded, Kamarnock could have equalised. So yeah, it just shows you that one goal out of nothing um, could have turned this game on its head. And like I said, Monday will be huge because there'll be 500 Kamarnock fans there. They'll be making a bit of noise for Kamarnock and, you know, like I said, that goal's probably given them a little bit of confidence. And and to be honest, you know, well done, the, you know, were the better team for 80 minutes of that game. I just think that goal might be the goal that, you know, turns the tie a little bit. And if Kamarnock get off to a good start and get an early goal, I think it'll be a long, long 90 minutes for Dundee. Because um, I do think Kamarnock have a better team on paper. I do think, I did think before it that Kamarnock will go through. Last night, I was changing my mind. Um, like I said, Dundee were amazing. Charlie Adam was running the show. Um, Lafferty didn't show anything for Kamarnock, mainly because Kamarnock just couldn't get him into the game. But that goal, out of nothing, uh, turned the tie last night a little bit. 
and you know for Dundee's sake and but for hopefully for Kamarnock, hopefully um that could turn the tide as a tie overall. And you know, Ayrshire on Monday night will be jumping as we see where we're we're going finally with this playoff. Yeah, it's going to be a bit. It's going to be a big game. But I, I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago, Matthew. I think, well, last week. Now I can't can't remember. I guess could get never mind last week. But I think I said to you that uh, the difference between Dundee getting up or skin down would be Charlie Agden, and also I, I would be saying the same thing about. Um, uh, big Kyle Rafferty, but like um, I think you you were saying that you were you were a bit disappointed in in Kyle Rafferty last night for Kamarnock, but as you know and everybody else knows, listening to this, it's a game of football and anything could change in a few minutes or even the next game. So we'll see what happens on on Monday night at Rugby well, Park. You're spot on because I mean, like I said, for seventy seven minutes in that game. It looked clear as day that Lafferty was quiet, Kamarnock couldn't get him into the game, and Charlie Adam was the guy running the show. And it just turned, you know, it turned in on the 77th minute, you know, shot bobbled, shot blocked, ball somehow scrambles under the keeper, 2 1 uh, Dundee. But Kamarnock have got a hope all of a sudden, you know, they're back in the tie. For the last 10 minutes, you know, I thought Kamarnock could have easily equalised. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's, like you said, you know, football does turn on moments. Um, and I think that goal, even though Kamarnock lost last night, I think when we look back on this tie, that goal last night on the 77th minute might turn out to be the most important goal or moment of the two legs. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And apparently Tommy Wright came out this week and said that um, if he manages to uh, keep done... Uh, Sorry, <laughs> if he manages to take uh, Dundee up, that will be up there by, that will be up there with Johnson winning the Scottish Cup. But I mean, hmm, maybe this is another debate for for that show next year or whatever. But um, I would say that if you were in that position and saying that about, oh, that will be a big achievement. I don't think you, you would be celebrating skin up. Well, I think Kilmarnock, I mean, Kilmarnock size of club shouldn't be in this position. No. Um, I will say that. And, you know, when Tommy Wright came in, I think we all had hopes that the whole season would turn around. And it did eventually, but it took them so long to get going. It took them so long to start scoring goals. That, yeah. I mean, I think Kilmarnock should have been out of this mire before they got in. It'll be, before they got in it. I think they'll be disappointed during the playoffs. Um and I don't think success is the right word. I think if they get out of no. this, relief should be the word. They'll be relieved to be out of this mess. But I tell you what, for next season, they won't want to be in it again. So you might find that you know it's a busy, busy pre-season for Kilmarnock to try and turn this ship around because they are too big to be in the playoff. Um, they're too big to be in this mess. Um, if they go down, it'll be a disaster uh, for Ayrshire. Um, as a whole, not having a Premier League team in it, so um, it's a big night for Kilmarnock. And you know, like I said, I don't think it's as big as St. Johnson winning the cup because St. Johnson winning the cup is huge, and it, that was success. I think this, like I said, this will be relief if they stay up, it'll be relief and they can move on to next year. 
There you go. So that's a playoff, but only only just beginning as the Euros and uh, the the score goes announced this week. But just to tell you, um, listen out on in July because me and Matthew, way, uh, um, we have got the okay to do some shows after the Scotland game. So that the first game we'll, we'll do will be on the second uh, June um, against Holland. So. And then the 14th of June, all kicks off against uh, Czech Republic. Uh, on the 18th of June, against a small matter of England. And the 22nd of June, against Croatia. Now, we we haven't got the right to the games, but we, we will be on after the game. So if you want to email us in or comment about the game as well, um, but listen out on Indie Live in the next few weeks and we'll give you more details about that one. But uh, this week uh, on Monday, Steve Clark name gets uh, scored for the um, for the Euros. Matthew, what, what's your thoughts about that? Well, that's, that, yeah, I think you could have a whole show debating um, who's in and who's out because there's a large part of the Scotland squad that I think we were talking about last week and the week before. There's a large part of the Scotland squad that you would probably have picked. But there's one or two that you can debate. And I think the debate's interesting one. So, you know, I'll run through them. The goalkeepers that were chosen were Craig Gordon of Hearts, uh, David Marshall from Derby, and McLaughlin from Rangers. Now, McLaughlin, I think, at the start of the season, I don't know if you remember, but he had a brilliant start to the season at Rangers. Um before McGregor came in. So Rangers are blessed to have two world-class keepers, I think, um, in their squad. And the fact that McLaughlin has been chosen as a keeper for, for Scotland in the Euros is a uh, testament to that. So three really good goalkeepers. We're defence-heavy, and this is where the debate comes in. So Liam Cooper from Leeds, Declan Gallagher from Motherwell, uh, Grant Hanley from Norwich, Jack Henry has got in uh, from, well, ultimately Celtic. He's, he's been playing on loan. He's had a, from what I can hear, a really good season. So Jack Henry's managed to sneak in. Scott McKenna uh, from Forest, Stephen O'Donnell from Motherwell, uh, Nathan Patterson from Rangers, Andy Robertson from Liverpool. Greg Taylor's came into the team as well from, from Celtic. I think Celtic obviously look a lot better when he's been playing uh, rather than um, lax out. So I think Greg Taylor's a, a decent a decent um decent squad member. And Kieran Tierney has came in now. He can play left back but he can also play left-sided centre-back of a three. So I think that's why Greg Taylor's came in. So that's an interesting one. Midfield and forwards, Stuart Armstrong from Southampton has got in, Ryan Christie from Celtic, John Fleck, Sheffield United, Billy Gilmore from Chelsea. He'll be playing in maybe the Champions League uh, final coming up next week. So it shows you that we've still got some big players and big games. So Billy Gilmore, it doesn't get much bigger than the Champions League, Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. John McGinn, Aston Villa. I don't know if you've seen John McGinn play against Tottenham on Wednesday night, but he looked almost Brazilian. Uh, some of the skill that he had was unbelievable against Spurs. And he, he's he been off form recently, but he started to come into his own the last couple of games. So um, and being a Villa fan, I'm quite happy with that. So John McGinn's in from Villa. Callum McGregor, Celtic. Uh, Scott McTominay, another guy, Manchester United. He's got a Europa League final coming up in the next week as well. So that's huge that we'll have big players and big games. David Turnbull's also came in from Celtic and um, the news with him is Aston Villa are sniffing around him in a £7 million deal. So young player of the year, Aston Villa sniffing around 
Uh, probably Celtic's, arguably one of Celtic's best players this year. So he's got into the squad and forwards. Uh, Shea Adams from Southampton, uh, probably our best forward, I would suggest, uh, even though he's ex-Barmian City, um, that I don't particularly like saying. But he's Southampton now, so and he's Scottish, so we'll love him for now. Um, Lyndon Dykes, Queen Park Rangers. Uh, James Forrest, Celtic, he's been injured for a lot of the season, hardly had a sniff. Um and that'll come up later as to why that's important. But he sneaked into the squad. Ryan Fraser, Newcastle, injured. Main has not played or trained a lot over recent months. He's in the squad. I don't know why. And Kevin Nisbet, who I think has been the player of the season up front, wise Scottish in Scottish terms. Uh, he's made the squad. But, I mean, these are the question marks why they come in and it's mainly to do with defenders why do we need so many defenders we're very defender heavy defenders on the bench won't win you games if you're struggling so you know it's a good squad on paper but there's too many defenders midfielders were probably about right this is the best midfield I can remember for Scotland for a long time uh, with people like Armstrong Christie Gilmore McGinn McGregor McTominay and now Turnbull coming in you can't have a better midfield than that so I think midfield keepers were fine Defenders are fine, but we're too defender-heavy. Forwards, I think Shea Adams is a good choice. Lyndon Dykes is a good choice. And Kevin Nisbet is a good choice as well. Um, there's your three. I don't think Forrest should have made it. He's came back from injury. He's not played that many minutes. I don't know why he's in there. Ryan Fraser is injured. Um has been injured. It's a, Newcastle United have said that he's a bit of a hit and miss at the moment. I don't know why he's been chosen, um, but if he's going to gamble on your James Forrest and your Ryan think, Frasers... Yeah, um, what I was going to say there, Matthew, was I think if uh, I was Lee Griffiths, I would be very annoyed because Lee, Lee Griffiths has been fit all season. Okay, you can argue about uh, has he been fit or whatever. And okay, he's not been getting the game, but he's been on the bench. Yeah, James Forrest has only came back for two or three games and they scored, what was it, a hat-trick on his first game back or something against Rubinskin and he's in the squad, you know. But I'm not saying James Forrest is a bad player. All I'm saying is uh, Lee Griffiths would be a bit annoyed because he's been fit, well, so-called fit all season, yet he's not in the squad. And also, uh, one more thing, Matthew, um, when you were saying about David Timbo as well and asking for us putting a seven million bag, if I was a Celtic fan, I would be a bit annoyed at that because I don't feel as though we've seen the best of David Timbo yet, even though he was a player of the year. And also, um, don't forget when they first came into the team, <laughs> we fit we thought he'd get lost in Selkie Park because he wasn't he wasn't seen for weeks and weeks and maybe months as well. And when they got the when they got a game, Matthew he was only playing sixty five minutes. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you know what? I think David Turnbull, like, I mean, Celtic season has been long and it's been tiresome uh, <laughs> to watch. And I think David Turnbull kind of just showed that up when he came in. You know, like you said, he went missing for a while. We wondered. Uh, you know, looking from the outside in why he wasn't getting games because he'd obviously came for a big fee and um, has a lot of potential. He finally does get games and, you know, like you said, he was getting hauled off after 65 minutes whether he's having mm. a good game or not. You know, they, 
Celtic seem to have a magic sub button that always appears on the 65th minute. <laughs> yeah. It's always Turnbull. So no matter how bad the game's going, no matter how well Turnbull's going, no matter what's going on, 65th minute appears and you know the sub button appears and Turnbull comes off regardless of anything. Um, but I think Turnbull was ultimately one was one of Celtic's best players this year, if not the best. I think he was probably one of the best along with Greg Taylor, who again was treated kind of shabbily by Celtic. So. I do think Turnbull going to Villa, I mean, it shows you, first of all, it shows you how much um, David Turnbull must have performed because if a premiership team like Aston Villa are coming in for you, that shows you're doing something right. I think it's good for the Scottish game because it shows you that Aston Villa obviously look at players like John McGinn, can see how McGinn's managed to take so comfortably to English premiership football. I mean, I know the English people down there like to poo-poo the Scottish game, Um but I think John McGinn has shown that Scottish football can Scottish footballers can perform at the at the English level. McTominay's mm. shown that, McGinn's shown that. And I think now they're looking at David Turnbull being Celtic's one of Celtic's star man's men this year and thinking, well, you know, for seven million, if you're going to get a midfielder like McGinn, seven million is an absolute snip in this day and age. So it, it is it does show a bit of compliment as to how good David Turnbull's doing um and how Scottish football is going up. In the, in the rankings of where English football sees it. So I think it's a good mm. thing that we're getting players sniffing about. Like for like we were saying about Forrest, I think James Forrest should have been in the squad. I'm not saying that for a second. I think he should have been in instead of one of the defenders. Mm. And I think what should have happened is we should have taken an extra striker instead of Ryan, Ryan Fraser, who's been struggling and not he might not be fit for the tournament fully. And like you said, and where I was kind of leading up to as well, I think Lee Griffiths should have been in there for exactly mm. the same reason as you as you said. You know, Lee Lee Griffiths has struggled um, a lot of the time of his own making, but a lot of time it's not of his own making. You know, like you said, he's been fit. He's just not been having game time. He's not been able to prove it. But when he does come on, you know, when when Celtic keep, when the Celtic brought him on against Rangers, when Celtic bring him on in most games like Aberdeen, for example, yeah, St Johnson as well, St Johnson, he does it. You know, he. he if he only has five, ten minutes, that's all a player like Lee Griffiths needs. Mm-hmm. Now, no, you're right. That's all he needs. Um, I'm a, so, if, if Scotland are losing against Czech Republic, if they're losing against England by one goal and you have 15, 20 minutes and nothing's happening up front, do you think Fraser's going to do it or do you think Lee Griffiths is going to do it? Well, pick it this way. Would you rather Fraser comes, comes on and scores a free kick or Griffiths? Well, uh, yeah, but Griff- Griffiths can take your corners. He can, like you said, set pieces. But he just causes absolute mayhem. And w- he gives it all. He's always playing on people's shoulder. I think Lee Griffiths, and, and he's done it this year for several with very little time, he's come on and he's delivered chances or he's created mayhem in the box for 10, mm. 15 minutes that he's been given the chance. Um I mean, I know Shankland is also in this conversation, don't get me wrong, but I think Shankland kind of went off the boil in the battle in Nisbet, and I think that's where Shankland's lost it. But Griffiths has experience. And remember, the last time Scotland played England, that game, at, for example, at Hamden, in that qualifier, Lee Griffiths scored two absolute cracking free kicks. And yep. like you say, yep. you know, Griffiths has got that in his locker. Now, he's fit now. Whether he's getting game time or not, he's fit. Brian Fraser's... Steve Bruce at Newcastle United is told... Steve Clark, this might not happen this year. It's hit and miss mm. with Fraser. I'd have had Griffiths every day of the week in that squad. 
Um, okay, so the debate will be going on and on and on, but Matthew, we, we went the whole show so far and not spoken with the Scottish Cup final just because it's been so busy this week, but there's a Scottish Cup final on Saturday tomorrow. St. Johnson against Hibs. Funny kickoff time, two o'clock, but I'm looking forward to this game. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to possibly going to this game. There was a bit of a there was a slight hope that, you know, that fans would be allowed into it and there was a slight hope that I could have maybe got to go to it. But, you know, it turns out as Glasgow went into level three or stayed at level three that, you know, that hope wasn't going to be um, fulfilled. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing stuck in the house watching it on TV, but it's not the same. Mm. And and I think the build-up kind of reflected that. I think mm. we, were all, we were all kind of geared up for it when there was a chance of fans going and there was an excitement there last week that who's going to get tickets, who's going to, how is it all going to work, blah, blah, blah. So when when Glasgow never came out of level three, I think it kind of quietened down a bit. And, you know, whether we like it or not, with no fans, the, you know, the, it's not as big a build-up as it would have been if there was. So I think that that's reflected. Obviously, the news, I think, has been a lot bigger this week for, for many different things anyway. But I think the, the fact that there's no fans has meant that the Scottish Cup final is maybe not as big as we thought it would be, number one. Number two, St. Johnson are still having issues with COVID. I mean, Callum Davidson has said that, you know, his team selection on Saturday is going to be affected by COVID because the COVID issues have left his, his plans in disarray. You know, over the last two or three weeks, there's been an outbreak, which means uh, St. Johnson have been out without a number of players in the last few games. Some of these players have came back, but obviously there's a knock-on effect of COVID that's resulted in, you know, training not being as good, testing still being, you know, taken all over the the club as a whole. Um, so there's been a knock-on effect. And because of that, I think Callum Davidson isn't quite sure what team to pick or what players are going to be available or what players are going to be up to up to speed in regards to training or how COVID's affected people who did have COVID. So um, it has affected his team. Because of that, it's very difficult to see where St. Johnson are going to go with this. The form, even though COVID has been there, it's not it's not affected them too much. Um, yeah, they like well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been a strange one because the beats, I thought St Mirren could have been favourites initially because of the COVID thing, but, you know, they won the semi-final 2-1 against St Mirren. Uh, last week, they managed to get a goalless draw against Livingston, so they were down to the bare bones against Livingston in the league, and they got a draw. So, you know, COVID hasn't seemed to affect the results, but Hibs is a different animal than St Mirren and Livingston. Um, and even though St Johnson haven't, I don't think they've lost to Hibs this year, um, I think there's reasons for that. You know, St. Johnson could could choose a full strength 11 when they played Hibs this year. Hibs had players out at um, different times against St. Johnson this year. So there's been circumstances. Hibs will be able to choose a full strength 11 this weekend. St. Johnson won't. I think that, that swings it in sort of Hibs' favour. Hibs, you know, obviously haven't beat Dundee United in the semi-final they then went on to draw with Celtic in the last game after beating Aberdeen up at Pataudry so Hibs are on a good run they've got all the team available St Johnson are on an alright run but they don't have their full team available and you know when you look at I think St Johnson I can't pick their or predict their team because I just don't know how the trains went but Hibs you can have a decent guess you know I think Matt Macy's going to be in goal I think it'll be Doy, Hanlon, McGregor and McGinn I think Irvin, Gogic Halberg will start 
and then you've got like Boyle, Nisbet and Deutsch who are your three sort of amigos as, you, as, you, as maybe you want to call them just for the fact that you know Boyle with his pace can cause damage Deutsch up there causes um, issues with strength and power and then Nisbet's obviously got the finishing potential so those three Hibs are a very strong outfit up top and with St Johnson just not knowing where they're at I think it's unfortunate that, um, for St Johnson because if, if this was a normal game, St Johnson are probably on the brink of history, winning a cup double. Callum Davidson could be, in my book, manager of the year if they do it. And I'm not saying they can't do it. There's a possibility they can do it because, like I said, they haven't lost the Hibs this year yet. But I just think the stars seem to be aligning with Hibs. It's Scottish Cup final, all the players available, decent form, and St Johnson have COVID problems. It seems the stars are aligning for Hibs, but it's a cup final. It's a one-off game. Who knows? Um, anything could happen as well. So, But I'm looking forward to the game uh, t- tomorrow. Two o'clock kick-off. Um, St. Johnson against Hibs. And St. Johnson, it's weird saying this, but St. Johnson are, are going for the double. I think they have, they've had an outstanding season. You know, um, Top six when it didn't look very likely because they didn't have a great start to the season. They managed top six. That in itself for St. Johnson is a win. Um, you know, and, and to then go on and win the cup was unbelievable. And, and to me, that on its own suggests that Callum Davidson is, is probably manager of the year in my book anyway. Mm. But then to go on and to win a semi-final when you've had a COVID outbreak... I mean, every other club that's had a COVID outbreak in Britain seems to have struggled, you know. Look at Celtic when they had their COVID outbreak. Rangers came to Celtic Park and massacred them, uh, not only in a scoreline, but possession and chances on goal and all that kind of stuff. Then look in England, you know, when Aston Villa, they had to have their whole first team out. Um, When Liverpool came in the FA Cup and Liverpool knocked Villa out, and then Villa haven't really recovered from that. I know recently they've started to pick up points, but from, from January to say, April time, Villa have struggled to get back into the run of things. So St. Johnson have shown that, you know, even with COVID affecting their team, they've still managed to do okay in the league and they've still managed to knock St. Martin out in the Scottish Cup semi-final. So they've dealt with COVID probably better than any other club who's developed that situation has. And like you say, that now because of that, they're on the brink of a cup double, even with COVID in their camp. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's just been an outstanding season. And, and to be honest, no matter what happens, I think St. Johnson should be, you know, shaking everybody's hand and cutting their own backs. I think it's been an outstanding year regardless. But if they were to win the cup double after finishing in the top six, after having COVID affecting their squad, I don't think St. Johnson will ever have a better season than that, ever. couple minutes left on the show and um, I'm going to try and squeeze in. Ooh, squeeze in. Um, to, um, we've got news about Shinny this week, Matthew, as well. Yeah, I mean, the Shinty is back. So, you know, I just felt it's decent to, to mention it. Monday, the 17th of May, was when, you know, I, I'd say one of the one of the greatest sports in the world. Um, definitely one of Scotland's national treasures um, returned. Um, from Monday, adult friendlies have been allowed to take place. Um, and a series of them have. You know, Fort William have been in action. Um, we've had... Sky in action, Ken Lockshield's been in action. We've had a few of the big guns back in action, Inverness. We've had people playing friendlies um, 
and it's been good to see the friendlies back. We've also had um, the London Shield under seventeen matches happen as well. So you know, Fort William was in action. Um, I think Fort William won seven 0 We've also had Inverness in action, uh, and they I think won two 0 in their game. So. Uh, Sky and Loxio also played. I think there was a nine goal thriller there, possibly. So, uh, Shinty's back. I think it's good to watch the league. Uh, the league, I think, is returning in June. Then the cup competitions start coming back as well. So, um, it's definitely something to look out for the Shinty. And I'll try and keep you updated as we go along with the Shinty season. Um, but the friendlies are back. The under seventeen tournaments are back, um, and we're getting to the start of a season, and it's really exciting now. Uh, give us a couple minutes left, Matthew. But uh, before we go, I would say about um, this is my last show. Of course, we'll be back for the Euros, and also we've got a special show coming up next week, Matthew, about LGBT in sport, and also we've got um, disability in sport as well. So that's coming over the next few weeks as well. But just before we go, we, we're going to squeeze in a bit of rugby news. Yeah, well, I'll quickly try and get in rugby and hopefully squeeze a nice hockey. If I have to talk really fast like this, I will, right? So, <laughs> um, so British and Irish Lions, uh, their game is in Edinburgh on the 26th of June. We were waiting to see the crowds. Um, I think Scotland's game will happen in the Euros, I think, four days before this game. And they were looking at 12,000 fans being into Hamden for, for that one. So we were waiting to see... Would, the British and Irish Lions have any fans against Japan on the 26th of June. That's now confirmed. Um, so a crowd of 16,500 will watch the British Irish Lions against Japan. Murrayfield has about 67,000 capacity. So it's a bit larger than Hamden, uh, which only holds about 52,000. So the capacity is a bit larger. The way Murrayfield's made out is also, I think, better for better in regards to the social distance and it's a it's a more modern stadium so I think it was a bit easier to do and so the news has came in that 16,500 lucky people will see the Lions against Japan so that was a bit of good news for them. Uh, there was a bit of other news coming out of Scottish rugby this week which is good news uh, Scottish winger uh, Darcy Graham says he wouldn't want to be anywhere else after signing a new deal at Edinburgh. So he has scored 17 tries in 39 games for Edinburgh this year. Uh, Edinburgh haven't had the best of years, but he's had a good season for Edinburgh. And he's, sco- he's also had nine tries in 19 internationals for Scotland, including that famous double against uh, England at Twickenham that made me run out into the street and burst out crying nearly when we got the win there. So this is a good result for Scottish rugby because it keeps him close. It keeps him in Edinburgh for years to come, which is really good to see. And he seems to be enjoying his life at Edinburgh um, and at, at Scottish rugby. So it's good to see one of Scotland's best talents, a talent that does perform and does score tries, um, staying in Edinburgh and staying in Scotland. So that's a really big result uh, contractually-wise for the SRU. Um, so that is some good news for Scottish rugby. And lastly... Um, ice hockey and this is something that you know we've spoke about before but the Glasgow clan are struggling we mentioned this story way way back when it started <laughs> but obviously uh, Brayhead is closed uh, the Brayhead arena is in trouble after the collapse of Brayhead Leisure 
that has a knock-on effect to the Glasgow clan who play in the British Ice Hockey League. Now, Glasgow clan have had to postpone, um, hopefully not cancel, they've had to postpone getting players in, they've had to postpone getting a manager in, they've had to postpone uh, selling season tickets because they do not know whether they're going to have a venue uh, because of Brayhead Arena. But they're trying their best to rectify that and they're trying their best to get the facility under the control of Glasgow clan. So they would be, they would own the Brayhead Arena. They would be able to use it as a sort of Scottish, um, Scottish ice hockey home ground, if you like. Um, now, and I think we mentioned this last week, but the situation hasn't really improved. Um, so they're looking for ways to help. So if you go on to the Glasgow clan website, there's different ways in which you can, you know, pledge your support to the Glasgow clan, whether it's financially, or I think there's, you know, a, a way that you can put your name down to say that you support the idea of Glasgow clan having the Brayhead Arena as a home to Scottish ice hockey, um, the premier facility really for Scottish ice hockey. So, you know, you've got a chance to support Glasgow clan. You've got a chance to, you know, give Glasgow clan the home stadium that they actually own and they can contribute to the creation of a venue that's good for ice hockey um, and you can support that venture so I would say everybody who has a love of sport in Scotland generally go on to Glasgow clan uh, or Google Glasgow clan uh, website, you'll see there on their news that there's a variety of ways that you can put money into the clan or a variety of ways that you can support their venture to own Brayhead Arena um, and we can hopefully keep ice hockey in Scotland at a big level because I know there's other clubs in Scotland but you know the Brayhead, Brayhead Arena is probably the best ice hockey venue that we have I think keeping it within ice hockey is so important um, and if the Glasgow clan can get it then they can push on and create a real ice hockey venue for the good of the Scottish population. So um, get on there and support the clan. Matthew, you dig well with, with two minutes to spare. Um, and and that, that's good timing. But yeah, so thanks for giving me that two minutes to spare. So yeah, um, of course, we'll be back next week. We are a special show. Um, we are interviewing uh, somebody from Leap Sport. Leap Sport is a LGB um, LGB2 charity helping um, people with pe- people that is gay, bisexual and all that into sport as well and also in a few weeks time we've got um, an interview with the Chief Executive of um, Scottish Disability Sport Gary McLeod he's going to speak to us about the Paralympics but also disability in sport in Scotland as a whole as well and uh, me and Matthew will be back on uh, a few weeks time um, with the European Ch- uh, Championships colleagues um, starting on the starting on the 2nd of June um, so we're going to have a wee stay location as Micah says um, and, and all that and we'll be back in a few weeks time so thanks for listening to the Rocker Room this year it's been a brilliant fun and uh, we'll see you again very soon keep it here live on Indie Live Regular